0: Hello and welcome to the 2022 Dublin Literary Award Shortlist podcast presented as part of International Literature Festival Dublin. My
1: name is Sean Hewitt and my name is Jessica Trainer. In this special podcast series, we'll explore each novel in detail as we chat exclusively to the authors and translators shortlisted for the award, the winner of which will be announced on the 23rd of May as part of International Literature Festival Dublin, which like the award is sponsored by Dublin City Council.
0: Nominated by libraries around the world, the award is the world's most valuable annual prize for a single work of fiction in English, or translated into English, worth 100,000 euros to the winner or winners.
1: In today's episode, we're looking at At Night All Blood is Black by David Diop, translated from the French by Anna Moscovakis, nominated by the Bibliothèque de Rheims in France.
0: I know, I understand, I shouldn't have done it. I, Alpha Nedaye, son of the old, old man, I understand I shouldn't have. God's truth, now I know. My thoughts belong to me alone, I can think what I want, but I won't tell. The ones I might have told my secret thoughts to, my brothers in arms who will be left so disfigured, maimed, eviscerated, that God will be ashamed to see them show up in paradise and the devil will be happy to welcome them to hell, will never know who I really am. The survivors won't know a thing, my old father won't know, and my mother, if she is still of this world, will never find out. The weight of shame will not be added to the weight of my death. They won't imagine what I've thought, what I've done, the depths to which the war drove me. God's truth, the family honour will be spared, the honour of appearances. I know, I understand, I shouldn't have. In the world before, I wouldn't have dared, but in today's world, God's truth, I allow myself the unthinkable. No voice rises in my head to forbid me. My ancestors' voices and my parents' voices all extinguished themselves the minute I conceived of doing what, finally, I did. I know now, I swear to you, that I understood it fully the moment I realised that I could think anything. It happened like that, all of a sudden, without warning, it hit me brutally in the head, like a giant seed of war dropped from the metallic sky the day Mademba Diop died. What an opening, yeah, I know. Sean. it's
1: such a brilliant opening. And this was one of those books that I was in the park and I was carrying it around in my bag and I didn't have time to read it. And I read that opening and suddenly I was 60 pages into the book. Mm-hmm. You know, it just drags you in. It's like a, a, a tidal force just pulling at you. Um, so that is the... Um, the main speaker of the book uh, speaking, his name is Alpha. Um, and the book begins with a very intense uh, three or four pages uh, in which his childhood friend who has been conscripted with him to fight for France in the First World War from Senegal um, has his stomach blown open by a shell. And the first three or four pages are just this, the most intense um, uh, violent uh, upsetting quite harrowing uh opening to a book and then that that rhythm of language that you that you read so well where alpha just says i know i understand i shouldn't have done it you get the sense that he's having to defend or put logic on the illogical uh, aspects of war um and the whole book just just goes on like that it's, it's very rhythmical um it has this this very intense uh, repetitive soundscape to it um and it really hooks you in
0: it's so interesting to, to look at the shortlist and to see that there are there are a couple of books that deal directly or indirectly with war. But this is such a slim volume. Um, and I love the notion of the seed of war. Mm. And it feels like what the focus here is that very, very, very intense close up and mm. um, trying to make sense of the kind of macrocosm of the bigger picture of war mm. through looking very, very intensely at potentially very visceral, very close-up uh, effects, and it uh, it looks like it's an intensely atmospheric and very moving book as Extremely
1: well. Extremely atmospheric and very um, haunting. It's the sort of book that you can't really put down in your head once you've picked it up, until you've finished it. It has its grip on you. Um, you're right, what's interesting about it is, it is in a way historical fiction, but I'm not sure that that category really fits it very well because instead of getting um, you know the macro version of history where we see um, politics and national borders changing and um, you know the the mechanics of war, instead you're stuck inside uh, the head of one narrator who's just seeing everything happen right in front of him. And there's a real sense that he is struggling to process it and you see as you go through the book, Um, his own psyche begin to break down. Um, So you're really locked inside it. Um, And it's just, one of the things I find really striking about this book is that we're used to a certain kind of white vision of World War I, and it seems important to me that here we have a book that, even though it's short, uh, is you're inside the voice of a Senegalese um, conscript, and he's the one that's reflecting on everything around him and there's no kind of bird's eye view uh, you'll write inside his mind and um it's an interesting one in terms of translation as well because um i've read that in the original um david diop was trying to write in a french that felt inflected um by wolof uh the senegalese uh language so, trying to carry that over into English must have been a particularly difficult job for Anna um to try and bring through the voice of someone who in themselves is struggling to translate their own thoughts mm. um, so it's a fascinating book it's It's only short, but you you just can't forget it once you've once you've read it
0: yeah, yeah, and again the just the reclamation of that particular time and moment and linguistic divide, mm. all of those things mm. intensely important
1: mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems in some ways to relate to another book that we have on the shortlist, The Art of Losing, um, which follows the Algerian War of Independence. And it's another French writer. And it seems to me that they're having a moment of uh, decolonializing, uh, bringing in new voices into these uh, narratives of what... It means to be French, French history. Uh, and I think that's really exciting. They're, they're very different books. Um, Alice Zenita's uh, The Art of Losing is, is a big uh, epic uh, mm. rather than this uh, short condensed kind of poetic shot. Um, but they're both uh, grappling with what it means to be French, uh, what mm. uh, French history and culture is. All of these things uh, seem to be at the, at the center of, of these books on the short list at least.
0: Great, and I look forward now to hearing your interview with David.
1: Yeah, so um, this is my interview uh, with David Diop and Anna Moskovakis uh, about At Night, All Blood is Black. Okay, well, it's so good to get the chance to talk to you, uh, David and Anna, uh, about this wonderful book. Um, I wanted to begin by asking you about Alpha, the main character, um, mainly because his voice is such a, a key presence in the in the book, and it felt to me really immersive in the way that we inhabit uh, Alpha's voice, uh, his mind, um, the logic of his mind, and, and the way that that works. And I wonder if Alpha's voice emerged to you at a certain point in writing, or did you begin to hear it in your mind? Where did this voice come from? Because it's a very distinctive voice that
2: he speaks in. Uh, merci d'abord pour votre invitation à parler de At Night All Blood Is Black avec uh, Anna Moskova, qui est ma traductrice préférée.
3: Um, so thank you very much, um, David says, for speaking to us about and to and to my translator Anna Moskova about this book, At Night All Blood Is Black, um, the voice was um, impressed, imposed on my mind, on my spirit from the beginning. Um, and the very first line was really the very first thing that I heard of, of about them. Wow.
1: Wow. And I wonder how it felt then to inhabit such a strong uh, and such an alternative consciousness. Uh, this is a consciousness in a book of a, a narrator who undergoes a lot of psychological stress, and, um, who experiences a lot of violence um, and struggles in some ways to uh, speak about that violence um, or to, to justify or defend uh, the violence. So how did it feel to, to have him in your mind uh, for so long? Was that a, a tough experience or did you enjoy having him speak to you?
2: It's c'est, c'est paradoxal paradoxical because que... It's
3: very paradoxical. Um, I wanted my soldier, my um, my Senegalese rifleman, to be in a context of realistic war. Uh, I had seen many um, testimonials, testimonies uh, about World War One and its extreme violence. And for me, the violence became a way to find my character. C'est ça, David? Uh that the, the violence wasn't an end, but was a, a means to discover the the character.
1: That's really interesting. And then it segues into uh, a question that I did want to ask you as well. I know that you um do scholarly work uh in your uh career and I think I'm I'm right in saying 18th century representations of of Africans in French literature. I wonder if there was a a point at which your uh, creative work intersects with your um, scholarly work. Is the the process of research similar, or is there a point at which uh, you're researching something and think, ah, that's a novel rather than an article for a journal or or something like that?
2: Oui, vous avez raison. Il y a un lien entre mes recherches uh, universitaires. Yes.
3: So you're absolutely right. There, there is a link between my research and between this book um, and it is around the representation of the African. I found in doing the research about my soldier character that there were um, similarities in the representation of Africans that, were, that came to prejudices that, that lasted from the 18th century all the way to the 20th century. And I wanted, in this book, to dismantle these paradoxes. Uh, sorry, these prejudices. I wanted to show, in doing that, um, I wanted it to do, to sort of devour them and to show by by deconstructing them to show how they functioned.
1: I think that's really effective. I, that maps on completely to to my experience of the book, and I'm and I'm glad that uh, that that's something that was. Um, intended in the way that it worked one of the things that i noticed about this book is that there are a number of of binaries in the book that are collapsed uh, in really interesting ways so um alpha Medemba, uh senegal and france uh france and germany colonizer colonized um and also violence itself the distinction between uh personalized violence of Uh, attacking someone with your hand uh, and the depersonalized violence of a shell or something like that. Uh, I wonder if those uh, binaries were something that you uh, worked with uh, when you were writing. Were you trying consciously to to hold these opposites and to um, uh, dismantle them or to uh, blur the boundaries between them?
2: Oui, oui, vous avez bien relevé... uh,
3: So yes, um, yes, you've realized very well and recognized that I have been playing in this book with the figure of the double. Um, And you uh, listed in that enumeration that um, one of the things I I, uh, reflected on was the relation, the antithetical relationship between personal violence and the violence of the war itself. And one of the things that I wanted to show is that it it wasn't the soldiers themselves that were violent, but the war that was violent. Not the soldiers that were inhuman or inhumane, but the war that was and that is. So what Alpha did by cutting out the cutting off the hands and and um, disemboweling the the uh, um, enemy soldiers. He did it to other men, so um Blaise Sandrar said called the first world war um a war, an industrial war, and so what the violence that the bombs did they did to each individual in the war a million times over <laughs> that it isn't the violence between men that is contemptible, but the institutionalized violence of war.
1: Mm. Yeah. And you really get the sense in this book of, of war as, um, something that is fed or, or, or kind of, a an idol, uh, that is worshiped by, by certain figures in the book. And, and they kind of give themselves over to feeding this relentless, um, institutionalized, um, uh, version of, of warfare. Um, Anna, I'll, uh, I'll give you a break from um the 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 job of uh, interpreting for now uh, and ask you about your experience of of translating this book. Um as I said at the start it has a really distinctive voice. Um it is a book that often works through to me a, a, ryth- a rhythmic uh, narrative it, it, it repeats it, it has certain governing um phrases or ideas the narrative sometimes uh, circulates around uh, a scene or an idea uh, repeatedly. I wonder if uh, that voice appeared to you different in French than it could be in English. Um, was there something that interested you particularly in writing this book? How, how did you how did you deal with with getting this voice onto the page—the very distinct voice of Alpha?
3: Thank you for that question. Also, please keep this thing I'm about to say in the interview. I'm not a professional interpreter and I've never done this before and I think it's important to note that the active um, the the skills required to translate on the page are very different from from this one um, it's a pleasure to try but um, but I I, uh, I just want to make sure that's clear to all the interpreters out there um, that I respect you <laughs> so yeah I mean I love hearing I loved hearing you say David that the first line, you know sort of um uh imprinted itself on you or, or i forget the word you used and and that it was and that the voice was there from the first sentence because that was exactly my experience reading this i i don't have any really more articulate way to say it then this is rare for me it doesn't happen with every book i translate although some version of it happens. But this one, I, I really did open the book and read the first page and I I felt like I involuntarily started um, rendering it in English in my head. I just felt very connected for some reason to this voice and the ways that I've attempted to explain that. I think actually in, you know, some of it has to do. A lot of it has to do with the with the the diction, the the, the recursion, the repetition. Um, I I have a long long uh, relationship with poetry as a writer and editor and and um, translator, and that's one of the things I love <laughs> to work with. Um, is how the rhythm of repetition over the course of a long but not too long piece is something you know is something that is just very very close to my own um commitments as as and interests and probably also limitations as an artist so i felt very connected to that and then as as i went on reading um i i understand though i have a very different background from the characters and from david i i do have Doubleness in in my background as well, and I have shadow languages and histories of exile and places that I am not um, personally. And I'm also just intellectually and philosophically very interested in this question of the individual and society, and where ethical responsibility falls, and where psychological, um, what the psychological impacts are of of that constant tension right not knowing um, what's the right thing to do when faced with an impossible situation where the individual can't fix it and yet has some agency like these are just things that I that I think about all the time so the book felt that like it was speaking directly to me although I had to do a lot of research about like what trenches were like in World War one I. I mean there were things about it that I had no no real real um, uh, depth of knowledge about but something about the philosophical essence and the, and the linguistic um, expression of it were just kind of really deeply familiar to me.
1: Yeah. It seems like the perfect match uh, for this book. I mean, the, I, I don't read French. Unfortunately, my school French is uh, has long uh, departed, but it's, it's great to hear that this, um, you know, I, I read it as a, as a very poetic book too. Uh, and the, the governing soundscape of this book um, seems to it almost when i when i opened this book i didn't have time uh, to read it uh, i was in the park and i had it in my bag so i opened it and suddenly it felt like um, you know the tide just grabs your feet and pulls you in and suddenly you're i was 50 60 pages in uh, it really grips you um, and part of it is the the voice but part of it is also this um, this repetition that feels as though um the character is is struggling in in some places to uh, articulate uh, the horror of of what has been done or what he has done and in, and so in that way it seems a book that uh, speaks uh, very eloquently of of translation and the difficulties of translation um i think Alpha doesn't have French as a as a as a language that he's fluent in. Um, there was actually a, a part uh, towards the end of the book um, about translation. So Anna, it would be remiss of me not to not to test some of these ideas uh, against your experience of of translation. But to translate is never simple. Uh, this is from the book. Uh, to translate is to betray at the borders. It is to cheat. It's to trade one sentence for another to translate is one of the only human activities in which one is required to lie about the details to convey the truth at large. Um, I I was really struck by this because towards the end of the book, we have Alpha uh, drawing pictures and and thinking pictorially about uh, his experience. So what is it to write a book that has its own language barrier inbuilt into it. What Was that important uh, to you, David, and, and what was your experience of it, Anna, uh, to deal with a book that is in some way about inexpressibility, the difficulty of language, the difficulty of translation itself?
2: Yes, your question is interesting because it leads me to say that, La voix
3: Your question is in the interesting because it brings me. It allows me to to say that in the end, the voice of um, Alpha Nandari was born out of constraint. So it was necessary for me me to translate it before Anna did um, to translate a subconscious um, or that that was thinking in another language, and the the constraint was also to find a way for this character to make the reader understand that he's thinking in another language. And what is surprising in a way, what is um, surprising about honest translation is that when I wrote the text in French, um, I knew the rhythm of Alpha's thinking, but it was impressive to find that the English, that the English language could be as supple, as flexible and as manipulatable as it needed to be to render this rhythm. So it is a rhythm that is a constraint, but is also the source of of this
1: of this work that's fascinating um and sometimes you know the the best things do come out of of feeling that constraint you know that is kind of uh the beauty i mean to go back to poetry the the form of a, of a poem the the tightness of a poem is where the the magic happens um It seems to me really important um. You know, on a on a basic level, uh, perhaps in this book that Alpha speaks, um, that it is uh, spoken, it's first person. Uh, it is not historical fiction in the sense that uh, we have a, a bird's eye view or an overview of a historical context that perhaps knows more than the characters themselves do. And it struck me when I was reading this book, and perhaps you you might speak about. Uh, how this is in France as well. Um, but the image of the First World War that we are often taught in schools um, or uh, in films or in uh, books that we might read is of a white war. And there are perhaps accusations when we see films uh, with non-white uh, actors in that this is revisionism or, or you know, in, the, in a negative way. The reason that it felt really important to me that Alpha speaks is because the voice of this person is injected into that historical context, um, and he is situated in it. Um, did that feel important to you? And is the image of of the war in in France um, still this white image of of the First World War?
2: The l'histoire de euh, la France avec the tirailleurs sénégalais. Assez so the
3: the history um, of France with respect to the Senegalese riflemen is a very specific one, and somewhere between the first and second war, the consciousness of the role that that these um, fighters had played fell away, almost evaporated. Um, but what was extraordinary about Fadama, about traveling with this book is I encountered people in festivals around France who would bring me documents and photographs and letters that really demonstrated um, that there had been a moment of great um, fraternity and solidarity that could exist between the West African soldiers and the French white soldiers from, um, from the cities. What was striking is that there was, um, more fraternity more good feeling and more solidarity between the soldiers of the different backgrounds the west africans and the french um than there was between the senegalese riflemen and the military hierarchy and structure
1: now it's really interesting to hear how those lines of solidarity happen uh and often they're not in necessarily the uh in the directions that you you might expect them uh, to happen, uh, and it's nice also to, to know that this book has a real world impact and that it opens up uh, conversations in that way. Um, Anna, I have a question for for you. A listener uh, who was listening closely will have heard you refer to the, to this book um, as *Flair Dam* uh, rather than *At Night All Blood Is Black*. Um, could you tell us a little bit about? Um, those two titles and how you opted for At Night or Blood is Black.
3: Sure. Um, and, um, and I'll preface it by saying that I tend to lean toward always wanting to to um, to carry over a title and a translation as literally as possible. I mean, I, I know some publishers believe that titles are, are not part of the work, but I believe titles are part of the work. So it was um, difficult to be presented with the task of retitling this, um, the publishers, I think rightly, I think we all agreed that um, Frère dame loses too much in translation to English. It's, there's a pun embedded in the title in French. It both means brothers in arms and also soul, soul brother. And we couldn't get both of those things into one title in any elegant way. And and each half of it had its own problem. I think. Brother in Arms or Brothers in Arms probably has, you know, has many, many books and stories already using that title and it's too weak. It didn't say enough. And, um, and Soul Brother has too many other connotations, especially in, in the U.S. So um, so what we do, I think translators and um, editors, when we're faced with that is generally keep a list of other possible titles as if we're titling a book for the first time. So I did that as I was going and, um, and I, I offered a list of about seven or eight to the publishers or the editors. Um, and, and somewhere during that time, I, I noticed, I think in my Twitter feed, I noticed that one... Um, one of the other translations, and I can't now remember if it was German or Dutch or Greek. But there were several. There were several, but at that point, I, I discovered one that had clearly used the same line. So it's the last line of an early chapter. I think it's the last line, but it's 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 a very resonant line that just st- stood out to me. So um, so that gave me some hope because what I was concerned about was that David would like the English title. So that made me think, well, he probably approved it there. So let's put that one forward. <laughs> so after that, I think it was quite simple, um, a, quite a simple um, conversation. David, do you, how do you remember it?
2: Oui, on, en a, on avait discuté du titre euh, et... Euh... Yeah, so
3: he says it. Yes, it felt fairly uh, evident, self-evident to use that that title. There had been other translators who had had selected it. It's the last line of um, chapter three, and uh, and then in fact, I had also imagined titling the book that at one point.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good title, um, I think. And one thing that I think works so well about that night, all blood is black. Is not only because it has this kind of poetic intensity as a line, but it also has a an iambic meter, uh, which makes it very memorable and feels like a heartbeat. Um, so it captures something of this idea of brothers in arms and soul brothers, uh, and also the leveling effect of that. Uh, I love the alliterative beat, the literal beat of of the the title. Um, Well, thank you very much. I think I would just love to ask you one more question, and this is for both of you. Uh, As you know, the the Dublin Literary Award is uh, sponsored um, by the Dublin City Council, and the submissions come from from libraries all around the world, and and it's uh, particularly nice to know that these are books that readers love and that librarians love. Uh, And I wanted to ask you uh, just finally... Um, what is your experience of libraries? Are libraries important places uh, for you? And what does it mean uh, to you to, to have uh, reader support and, and librarian support for, for your book?
2: Oui, j'aime beaucoup les, donc les librairies. C'est bien de cela dont on parle. David
3: la... just gave a beautiful answer first about bookstores, which are called librairies in uh, French, and how the experience of Going to the two neighborhood bookstores that he has is wonderful because of the way in which um, the the people who work there can lead you to books and introduce you to books that you wouldn't know you'd be interested in reading, which of course is also the experience many of us have in libraries, or especially I think when we're young, that's an experience we have in libraries, right? Um, Because you don't necessarily know what you're looking for when you're a kid going into a library or a teenager, Um, so I would definitely apply that myself to, to the experience of libraries. And, um, and then Debbie gave an equally beautiful answer about people's personal libraries and the way in which when you go to somebody's home, you get to know who they are by their community, their friends, their, their, um, their, uh, the links that you have. And also because having a library, your own library, allows you to, to reread books And I would just, you know, add, I think there's a, to me, libraries are very close to my heart as I think they probably are for anyone who's may under a certain age, right? Because we didn't have the internet um, when I was a young person. So going to the library to browse was like a real physical experience and, um, and seeing what had been selected by the librarians as possibly of interest or seeing the different categories that they would make, I think, yeah, had a huge influence on how I how I move through the world, including how I move through the internet now. <laughs> um, so I think it's an incredible resource, and I also think you know the rereading question. The lovely thing about a library is that you can visit you can visit those those books there too. You know, so you don't actually have to own them. But you can go and, and visit the same books over and over again, which I surely did, especially when I was younger.
2: <laughs>
1: and it speaks to both of your uh, wonderful answers there, because in some ways, your book is now selected by librarians and, and recommended, um, which is nice. Uh, there's there's nothing better than uh, a shortlist that's been so carefully uh, chosen uh, from all across the world. Uh, so congratulations uh, for being on it, and thanks so much for taking the time to to talk to me. Um, and I hope you have a lovely day.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in to the other episodes as we count down to the 2022 Dublin Literary Award winner announcement.
1: You can read this year's shortlisted titles from public libraries around Ireland or borrow them as e-books and e-audiobooks on the free Borrow Box app. Plus,
0: you can enter to win your own copies of the six shortlisted books by entering the giveaway running now through the 17th of May on ILF Dublin's social media
1: channels. Wherever you're listening from, we invite you to join us for the online award ceremony on Monday the 23rd of May. You can book your free ticket at www.ilfdublin.com and
0: browse the other fantastic events in this year's International Literature Festival Dublin programme.